Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have a Bible tonight, we're going to be in the book of Philemon. I want to encourage you to uh, go to the book of Philemon, and I'm so grateful to be here tonight, and I love this place. I love this church. I love your pastor, and when we started our church just five years ago, one of the first churches to get behind us and to pray for us and also to support us financially was Liberty Baptist Church, and so we're so thankful for this place, and God has been doing some great things uh, in Rancho Cucamonga in Fontana, and uh, we just celebrate five years of ministry, and uh, we've seen uh, many people come to know uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, it seems like almost every single week we have uh, new people that are getting saved and baptized and added to the church, and uh, God deserves all the glory from it. And uh, I just want to thank you for praying for us and supporting us, and that is fruit uh, that abounds to your account. And so we're giving God the glory from that, and we're so thankful for what God is doing. And I'm looking forward to uh, diving into God's Word tonight. I want to encourage you to uh, get rooted and plugged in this summer, especially to these uh, summer nights. Uh, I can't think of a better... Uh, thing to do than on a Tuesday night coming together to gather around God's Word and uh, growing together through His Word. And uh, how many of you believe tonight that the Word of God will not return void? And so it's our responsibility to tune into God's Word and to tune out the voices of the world. And uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that tonight. And uh, if you have your spot there in Philemon, we're going to start reading in verse number one. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready tonight, as we will refer back to these verses often in our study together. But Philemon, starting in verse number one, the Bible says this, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by the brother. Now, in, in the first century culture, the seat of the emotions was the bowels. And uh, our seat of the emotions today is the heart. Uh, I love you with all of my heart. And uh, we can find a broken heart. And in the first century, it was, I love you with all of my bowels. Okay, so a little bit different. And, uh, but that's what he was talking about here, that, that he was being a refreshment uh, through, to the hearts of the saints there in Colossae. And it says this in verse number 8. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, that which is convenient, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me." 
Tonight, for, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject, relationship rehab. And I want to talk about how we can build relationships to the glory of God. And so let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive into these verses tonight. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together and to study your word. God, thank you that your word is a lamp and a guide uh, to our feet. And God, tonight I pray that we would have a holy focus on your word. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say that would be beneficial for us. And God, I pray that we can leave this place a little bit differently as a result of your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said tonight. My youngest daughter came home from school recently. Her name is Blakely. And she was excited because in school she was learning about Joseph and the coat of many colors. And we asked her, what are you learning in school? And she said, we learned about uh, the boy that had a rainbow coat. And uh, we knew that that meant Joseph, the coat of many colors. And uh, we said, what else did you learn? And she said, we learned that you shouldn't have favorites. And we said, yeah, that's right. Uh, you shouldn't play favorites and have favorites. And, and uh, Blakely thought about that for a second. She's five years old. And she said, Mom, uh, you can't have favorites, but you can have the cutest. And I'm the cutest, right, Mom? And uh, she wanted to make sure that of all the children, she was the cutest. And so uh, at a young age, she's learning about uh, the complexity of relationships. And I don't know if you've noticed in our culture today, but there has been a shift from the biblical design uh, that God has laid out for our relationships. And relationships are becoming more complex and more superficial, uh, more shallow. And we are drifting further and further from uh, God's design plan that we see in his word for our relationships. I was reading recently that uh, Las Vegas is the marriage capital of, of the world. And uh, last year, just last year, 44,000 marriages took place in Las Vegas. And one of the most popular venues to get married now in Las Vegas is uh, in 2017, a new venue became available, and that is the Taco Bell on the Las Vegas Strip. And so you can go, and you can get married, and you can order a cheesy gordita crunch at the same time. Uh, that is what I call a win-win, right? And uh, you can go and get married there, right, in Las Vegas. But it's no wonder that our relationships are suffering in our culture today, because we have often drifted from a biblical design. And uh, we are drifting further and further away from what we see outlined in God's word. And as a result, we have many hurting relationships today, many broken relationships today. Uh, how many of you tonight have ever experienced a hurtful or a broken relationship? Can I see your hand? A hurtful or a broken relationship? Uh, right now, uh, you can go to uh, Hollywood and there is an entire museum dedicated to broken relationships. In fact, it's called the Museum of Broken Relationships. And uh, you can go there, and uh, there's all different kinds of things that they have there at this museum. They have uh, shoes and jewelry, and every one of these items represents a broken relationship and tells a story about uh, certain relationships. On their website, it says this, Museum of Broken Relationships is a physical and virtual public space created with the sole purpose of treasuring and sharing your heartbreak stories and symbolic possessions. It is a museum about you, about us, about the ways we love and lose. And so we live in a culture today that is disoriented when it comes to relationships, and often we are feeling the devastating results and the painful results of drifting from God's word. And today we have to pay attention because there is undoubtedly confusion today in our culture about relationships. There is confusion in our culture today about gender. There's confusion today in our culture about marriage. There's confusion in our culture about friendships. And we see this distortion and this drifting from the truth. Uh, several weeks ago, actually several months ago, 
uh, before Will Smith was in the head headlines for the slap with uh, with Chris Rock there. Uh, he uh, was in the news headlines and he was actually on the cover of GQ magazine and the cover caught my attention because it says Will living his truth. And his truth was that he is celebrating and promoting an open relationship that he's in with his wife. And he talked about how he had a Christian upbringing, but he felt a little guilty about this open relationship at first, but now he's at peace with it. And so we see that there is this, this drift, this distortion from the truth. And we have to be very careful because we are living now in what is a post-truth and post-Christian culture. And in a post-truth and post-Christian culture, uh, we are going to live however we want and make up our own rules. And as a result, there's going to be devastation. There's going to be pain. The Museum of Broken Relationships is going to need a lot more real estate uh, because we are drifting from God's design. Uh, Billie Eilish, the pop culture icon, she said this to Vogue magazine recently. She said this, my thing is that I can do whatever I want. It's all about what makes you feel good. But how many of you know that just because something feels good doesn't mean it is good? And as a culture, we are being navigated so often by our feelings and what feels good, but there's a newsflash that we have to recognize. Our feelings lie to us. And our feelings don't always tell the whole story. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, am I being governed by the ever-changing state of culture or am I being governed by the principles, the timeless principles of God's word? Now, when we come to this idea of relationships, we have to understand, okay, then what is God's design? Uh, How does God expect us to navigate the relationships that we have in life? The Bible says this in Mark chapter 12, verse number 30. And I believe that, that this is a paramount uh, uh, verse in Scripture when it comes to our relationships. Jesus is showing just how important it is. And he said this, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, now this verse might be familiar to you if you've grown up in church. But we have to recognize how countercultural this verse is. To love your neighbor as yourself. Because culture today says, you love you. You do you. You follow your truth. You do whatever feels good to you. You do whatever makes you happy. You follow your dreams. You follow your desires. You love you. But according to the Bible, our love should first be upward, and then it should be outward before it is inward. That that we love God, and that we love our neighbor as ourself. And so the question that I want us to consider tonight is, how do we cultivate real, authentic relationships? How how do we build healthy relationships? How do we build back healthy relationships? I I don't know if you noticed also in our culture today, we live in cancel culture. You say something that that, that someone disagrees with and you're canceled. And uh, you say something or you make a mistake and you're canceled. And we live in a culture where uh, you make one mistake or you do one thing that a group doesn't agree with and you are going to be cut off. You are going to be canceled. Uh, I'm thankful that our God does not cancel us because of our sin. Uh, I'm thankful that, that our God is not a God of cancel culture. Our God is not about cancellation. Our God is about restoration and bringing healing to broken relationships and restoring those relationships back together. In fact, the Bible says this in Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, don't you love that little clause, that little requirement, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And so the heart of God is all about restoration. Now, this does not mean that we sidestep accountability. 
This doesn't mean that we ignore sin or that we sweep sin under the rug, but it does mean that we understand that the heart of God is about restoration and reconciliation. Now, this brings us to the book of Philemon, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible uh, open and ready. Uh, Philemon is really a story about relational restoration. It's a story about uh, relationship rehab, uh, two people having a relationship that is mended back together. Now, to kind of get our bearings a little bit, let's go to verse number one and pick up the context of the book of Philemon. Notice what it says in verse number one. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God and, the, and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, uh, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. And so this book is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon. There's really two characters, two major characters in this letter. First is Philemon. Philemon was a good, godly man. He was a family man. Uh, Philemon was a man that Paul led to the Lord when he started the church in Colossae. And so now Philemon is using his resources, his means, to host the church at Colossae in his house. And so you have Philemon, good, godly man, family man. And then the second major character that we see in the text is Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave or a servant to Philemon in the household of Philemon. Now, uh, slavery in this culture was completely, uh, it was radically different than uh, the image or the, or the picture that you might conjure up in your mind about slavery today. Uh, most commentators say there were more slaves in the Roman Empire than there were Roman citizens. And so slavery was rampant. Uh, there were, uh, there were uh, millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. And uh, slavery was, was much different than we might think of today. In fact, many people, if they were struggling financially, they would sell themselves into slavery until they could get back on their feet. Many times, a servant in the household would become very close to that family and they would love them and treat them as a part of the family. And so you have Philemon, the leader uh, of the house, the, uh, the family man, the good godly man, and you have Onesimus who is a servant in the house of Philemon. And here's what happens in the book of Philemon. To give everyone a little bit of context tonight, Onesimus steals money from Philemon. He steals some money and then he runs away. And, and, and Onesimus uh, took that money and he ran all the way to Rome. Now, undoubtedly, this would have hurt Philemon. This would have hurt him financially, but more significantly, this would have hurt him relationally. Uh, he would have been burdened and hurt by the fact that Onesimus betrayed him, stole money and ran away. And so Onesimus, he runs all the way to Rome. At this time, Rome had upwards of 870,000 people. And so Onesimus thinks, I'm just going to kind of blend into this city. I'm going to kind of lay low for a little while and uh, make sure that I don't get caught. Uh, the punishment uh, for getting caught as a runaway slave was often death. And so Onesimus wanted to lay low. In fact, uh, many times if you were caught as a runaway servant, they would burn the letter F into your forehead. Uh, standing for fugitivus, or where we get our word fugitive. And so Onesimus doesn't want to get caught. He goes to Rome. He wants to blend in. And watch what happens. He gets to Rome, filled with 870,000 people, and it just so happens he ran into someone named Paul. It just so happens that he met someone named Paul who was under house arrest in Rome. What are the chances that of all the people that he could have ran into, he runs into the Apostle Paul? Can I tell you tonight that sometimes in life what looks like a coincidence is actually God's providence. I'm thankful today that our God is sovereign over all, and he is faithful to direct our steps each and every step of the way. And so Onesimus, he goes to Rome just to kind of go into hiding. He just happens to run into the Apostle Paul 
and Paul was there under house arrest in Rome, and he was allowed to have guests come and go, and so he got to know Onesimus a little bit, and he started to uh, minister to Onesimus. He eventually leads Onesimus to Christ. So now Onesimus is a Christian, and now they have this relationship. Not only that, Onesimus and Paul start to serve the Lord together. They start to do ministry together, and Paul started to connect the dots. He's thinking, wait a second, you're from Colossae. I started a church in Colossae. I've been to do you happen to know Philemon? Wait, wait a second. You do know Philemon? Paul starts to connect the dots, and he realizes what happened. Onesimus tells him, I stole some money, and I ran away from the house of Philemon. And what Paul does is he says, you know what? You need to go back to Philemon. We need to make this right. Rather than just kind of sweeping this under the rug, rather than just saying, oh, that's an interesting story, Paul says, hey, there needs to be restoration to this relationship. And so what Paul does is he writes a letter to Philemon, gives it to Onesimus, and says, you need to go back and deliver this letter to Philemon. Everybody tracking with me so far tonight? And, and so he says, go back and deliver this letter. That is the book of Philemon. It's often, call, it's often called the postcard epistle, a very short epistle. And uh, Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, and the whole letter is about relationship and about restoration. And and so what I want to do tonight for a few minutes is I want to give us uh, very quickly uh, five ways that we can build or build back a healthy relationship. And I want to encourage you to uh, jot some of these things down and, uh, and uh, lean into this text tonight. And so five ways that we can build or build back a healthy relationship. Number one is this. We need to cultivate spiritual maturity. If we're going to have healthy relationships, we need to cultivate spiritual maturity. Now, uh, what does spiritual maturity look like? Because the reality is a lot of times our relationships struggle because we are exemplifying spiritual immaturity. And so what does spiritual maturity look like? Well, I believe we have a picture of this in the life of Philemon as Paul is writing this letter. And so I want to see a couple of characteristics of a spiritually mature person. Notice verse number five. Everybody with me tonight? Verse number five, the first thing that we see when it comes to spiritual maturity is that a spiritually mature person, they love Jesus. <laughs> Very simply, they love Jesus. It's not just about themselves, it's about how much they love Jesus. Notice it in verse five. Paul says to Philemon, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus. Paul says, Philemon, I've heard something about you and I know something about you. I know that you love Jesus. Uh, by the way, I hope that uh, when I die someday that people say, you know what, Matt Chapel, he loved Jesus. That he just loved Jesus. It's not about me and what I have to say and the, and the wisdom that I think I might have. No, it's all about the fact that we love Jesus and that Jesus has called us and created us for a holy calling. And our lives are not about us. They're all about him. And Paul is saying to Philemon, uh, you love Jesus. And that is commendable. Uh, I love what uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men... They marveled. Why did they marvel? Because they were so smart? Did they marvel because they were so eloquent? Did they marvel because they were excellent communicators or because they really understood the culture? No, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I wonder, could that be said about your life tonight? That someone notices your life, man, they're spending time with Jesus. That person loves Jesus. You know what they talk about all the time? Jesus. You know what's all over their Facebook page and Instagram and social media? It's Jesus. 
And see, that's what spiritual maturity looks like. When it's not all about us, it's all about Jesus. And so Paul tells uh, Philemon, he's commending him, and he's saying, I've, t- I've taken knowledge of this, that, 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 uh, that you love the Lord Jesus. And then the second sign of spiritually uh, mature people is at the end of verse number five. It says, and toward all sa- saints. And so the second sign of spiritually mature people is not only do they love Jesus, but they love people. They love the church. Now, we know that Philemon loved people. We know that he was a good, godly family man. We know that he loved people because he was hosting the church in his house. Now, when you're constantly having people over to your home, uh, you've got to love people, right? And uh, when we first started the church, we didn't have a church building. And so everything that we did took place in my house. Seth, our worship pastor is here tonight. He could tell you uh, that we had Bible studies in my house. We had worship nights in my house. We had meetings in my house. It seemed like almost every day of the week we were having something in my house. We were opening up uh, our home for people. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home, and we constantly had people over into our home. Uh, It would not be uncommon for me to show up on a Sunday. Sunday night, just pull into the driveway, and there would be people in our house. I'm like, oh, there, there's people here. I wonder who's here. Uh, I remember one time I came home uh, on a Sunday night, and I went into my room just to kind of uh, get changed, and I was going to go out, and I walked into my room, and there was just people hanging out in my room, and I was like, welcome, make yourself at home. And uh, not only that, uh, my dad had given my brother and I a signed San Francisco 49ers helmet by Joe Montana. And uh, this helmet was in a nice case and it was sitting up on a shelf. And I walked into my room and there was a little kid that had taken the case off, put that helmet on, and he was running around the room and he was playing football. In that moment, I did not have a great love for the saints, okay? Uh, In that moment, I wanted to tackle somebody, okay? Uh, But you have to have a a special kind of spiritual maturity if, if you are constantly having people in your home with that kind of hospitality. But that was the kind of person that Philemon was. He loved Jesus and he loved people. The Bible says this in Galatians 6, verse number 10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. We're to love all people, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. Can I encourage you tonight to seek to love the people that are sitting around you, to, to, to seek to show encouragement and support to the people that are a part of this church and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, edifying and building up the body of Christ. That was Philemon. He was a spiritually mature person that loved Jesus and he loved people. But also there's a third characteristic of a spiritually mature person, and we see it in verse six, and that's they love to serve. They look to serve. Notice it in verse six. He says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. He says, I love that, 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 that you have become effectual in your faith by acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. By the way, that is the process for serving in the local church. We acknowledge how good God is to us, and as an outflow, an outpouring of how good God has been to us, we can't help but serve him back. Why? It's our reasonable service. It just makes sense how good God has been to us and how much God loves us and how much God has provided for us. Hey, serving the Lord is not a have to, it's a get to. Uh, We get to serve the Lord. And this was Philemon, he was spiritually mature. He just recognized, man, God has been so good and he acknowledged the good things in his life and that turned into the effectual communicating uh, of the word of God and he was serving and so he looked to serve. And here's the fourth uh, quality of a spiritually mature person. Uh, It's this, they look to refresh others. They refresh other people. Notice in verse 7. It says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints, the hearts, the emotion of the saints, are refreshed by thee, brother. See, 
I love that Philemon was simply a refreshing person to be around. Have you ever been around someone that just uh, was a constant encouragement and uh, they were just kind of always refreshing to be around? And it's always nice to be around someone like that. But how many of you have ever been around someone that was the exact opposite of that? Uh, they were quick to suck the energy out of the room. They walk in, they're negative, and they just have that spiritual gift of discouragement, right? Uh, they're just going to kind of bring up the negative and everything. That was not Philemon. He, he looked to refresh others. He looked to encourage others, to build others up. Why? He loved people. He wanted to serve people. And so he was refreshing to be around. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 13. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly, the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because, why, why were they comforted in, in finding joy in Titus? Because his spirit was refreshed by you all. His spirit was refreshed, and Titus found encouragement and refreshment by the saints. I want to encourage you tonight to be a refreshing person, to, to be an encourager. Uh, you can never encourage the wrong person to go out of your way to lift someone up. You never know what someone is going through. You never know when you walk into church on a Sunday morning and you've got your own issues and problems and struggles that, that you are dealing with. You never know what someone sitting next to you is going through. I want to encourage you to be a refreshing person, to be an encourager. You know, a lot of times we are so focused on what we are going through and what we can get out of something that we fail to miss the blessing of being an encouragement to someone else. I was talking to someone in our church recently, and we were talking about getting involved in small groups, and we were talking about small groups earlier, and uh, he said, you know, I just don't know if, if small groups are for me. I've been a couple times, and it just doesn't quite do it for me. And I looked at him, and I said, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe you should be in a small group, not just for what you can get out of it, but how you can be an encouragement to someone else? And how that you can be the iron sharpening iron and how God wants to use you to lift up uh, someone else. So often we are focused on me, myself, my needs, when we should be focusing on the Lord Jesus and serving the local church. And as a result, we too will be refreshed in return. One of the greatest ways that you can find encouragement in your life is to go out of your way to encourage somebody else. And so this is Philemon. He, he's demonstrating spiritual maturity. And if you want to have a, a healthy relationship, we have to cultivate spiritual maturity. Now, this leads us to our second thought tonight. Number two, if we are going to build healthy relationships, number two, we need tact in our communication. We need tact in our communication. Now, I love what Paul does here uh, in the next few verses. Notice verse number eight. He says, wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, that which is convenient. The word enjoin in the Greek is epitasso. It means to order or to command. Paul said, I could pull out my apostle card. I could show you my credentials and I could order you to do what I'm about to ask. He, he says, I could enjoin you. I, I could order you. I could command this, but notice verse number nine, yet for love's sake, for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such and one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, Paul says, you know, Philemon, what I could do next, what I'm about to ask of you, I could command this. I could say by the authority that I have as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm commanding you to do this. But he says, I'm not going to do that. He says, rather than command, rather than require, I'm going to request. He says, I'm going to make a request of you. Why? Because he wants love to be the motivation. By the way, serving Jesus should not be out of guilt or obligation. The motivation should be love. The love of Christ constrains us. He says, for love's sake, I'm going to ask you to do something. And Paul here was being very gentle in how he was talking to Philemon. In fact, uh, many, called, many uh, commentators call this the gentle epistle, that, that Paul was using tact in his communication, that he wasn't just hammering home an issue. Uh, he was communicating with, with love 
and he was going to request uh, something of Philemon. Proverbs 15, verse number one says this, a soft answer turns away wrath. Soft answer. But grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses uh, knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. And so if you are serious about relational reconciliation, uh, you will use tact in your communication. Now, uh, communication requires three things. It requires truth, timing, and tone. Truth, timing, and tone. Sometimes we have the truth, but we miss out on the timing or we miss out on the tone. Uh, you'll be surprised sometimes on a Saturday night, uh, I'm getting ready to uh, go to sleep and I'm praying for Sunday the next day. And the text messages that come in on a Saturday night before I'm about to go to bed, I'm like, could you just wait until Monday <laughs> to send me this text message, right? Sometimes the timing is off. And uh, I've been teaching my son, uh, Luke, recently how to golf. He loves golf. And Seth, if you can uh, help me out here for a second. I brought a few golf clubs with me tonight. And... Uh, and uh, I've been teaching, in fact, Seth, come up here for a second and uh, hold a couple of these for me. There you go. Let's give it up for Seth tonight. He's a great golf club. He's a great caddy tonight. A golf club, how appropriate. And uh, I've been teaching my, my son how to golf, and uh, he loves to go to the driving range, and he can just uh, uh, get out there. He's seven years old, and he can just hit all day long. And uh, he, he's not quite sure which club to use when, and sometimes we'll be at the driving range, and he'll be swinging as hard as he can. And uh, then we'll go to the putting green, and uh, the first time we went to the putting green, he grabbed the driver, and uh, he wanted to just swing as hard as he could on the green with the driver. And I was trying to explain to him, that's not the club that you use on the green. And... Uh, and so I'm trying, to teach him, I'm trying to teach him some of those things. But, you know, in golf, you have to use the right club at the right distance. Uh, if you are uh, out 150 yards out, you want to use an iron. If you're close to the green, you want to use a putter. If you're on the green, you want to use a putter. If you're trying to hit it far, you want to use the driver. And uh, you have to use a different club. Let me see the ball for a second. Now, when it comes to communication, uh, we have to recognize that we have a responsibility to speak the truth in love. And we might have the truth, but a lot of times what's happening in our communication is we're using the truth and taking the truth, but we're using the wrong club. And what we're doing is we're taking the truth and we are wanting to drive a point home and we might be right, we might be correct, but we are driving the point home when we should be using a different club. And so often we are uh, not using tact in our communication and we are trying to drive a point home and we are not using uh, gentleness in our speech. You know, the Bible puts it this way in Colossians chapter four, verse six, let your speech always be, uh, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Uh, can I encourage you? Different people require different clubs. The truth remains the same. We don't compromise the truth, but we recognize that we're going to speak the truth in love. Paul was writing uh, the book of Galatians, if you study the book of Galatians, and he was using the driver. He was driving a point home. He kept on saying, oh, you foolish Galatians. They had been drifting from the truth. They had been distorting the gospel message. In fact, uh, J.B. Phillips says that he was saying, oh, dear idiots of Galatia, you're messing things up. And so Paul was using a driver to get his point home. But when Paul wrote Philemon, he's not using the driver. Pa Paul's using the putter. He's being gentle. And I just want to encourage you today that if you are serious about having a healthy relationship, know when to use the right club and to have tact in your communication. Thank you, Seth. And that is exactly what we see Paul doing. Uh, Randy Alcorn, he said this, countless mistakes in marriage, parenting, ministry, and other relationships are failures to balance grace and truth. Sometimes we neglect both. Often we choose one over the other. And so Paul is demonstrating tact in his communication. He's saying, I could demand this. I could get out the driver and I could make my point. I could prove that I'm right, Philemon, but instead I'm going to be gentle. Now, up until this point, 
Imagine you're Philemon and you're reading this letter. You're like, okay, Paul, what's the point here? Uh, you, you're, you're gassing me up. You're telling me, you know, how I'm spiritually mature and you're kind of giving me some compliments. And, and now you're saying you're not going to demand something, but you're going to request something. What is it, Paul? What are, you trying to, uh, what are you trying to get to? Now, notice what Paul says in verse 10. He says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. Now imagine you're Philemon. He hadn't heard that name in years. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, Onesimus? Did I read that right? Onesimus, the one that stole from me? Paul knows Onesimus? Small world. He says, my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. The word begotten speaks to the idea of becoming a father. And he's saying, I've become a spiritual father to Onesimus. And now Philemon, he's trying to process all this. Verse number 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. And so now all of these memories are being flooded into Philemon's mind. Wait a second. Uh, he's trying to piece it all together. Onesimus is with Paul, and Paul's in Rome, and he's under house arrest, and he's trying to put these things together. And this leads us to our third thought tonight. Number three is this. If we're going to build healthy relationships, we need a spirit of self-sacrifice. We need a spirit of self-sacrifice. Notice verse number 12. He says, Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels, my own heart with him. Whom I have sent to you, thou therefore receive him. Receive him. Paul's saying, I'm sending him back, and with him comes my own heart. Verse 13. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. I love what Paul says here. He says, I could have kept... Onesimus with me. In fact, Onesimus has been a great encouragement to me here in Rome. He's been a friend. We've been doing ministry together. Uh, Paul undoubtedly could have used friendship and encouragement while he was there in Rome. And Paul says, I could keep Onesimus with me, and that would be a great encouragement to me in my ministry. But rather than leave Onesimus with myself, uh, I knew that th that would not be right. I want to send him back to you, Philemon. I want there to be restoration. I want there to be reconciliation. And so what we see Paul demonstrating was a spirit of self-sacrifice. He said, if I could have it my way, I'd keep Onesimus with me. That'd be great. We could do ministry together in Rome. He's been a great encouragement and friend to me. But rather than doing that, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to send him back to you because I want there to be restoration. You cannot have relational restoration without having a spirit of self-sacrifice without being willing to surrender and to submit and to give up uh, certain things in order to gain greater things. And this is what we see Paul doing here. John Stott said this, self-love vitiates all relationships. Diotrephes slandered the apostle John, cold-shouldered the missionaries and excommunicated loyal believers, all because he loved himself and wanted to have preeminence. Personal vanity still lies at the root of most dissensions in every local church today. What did Paul write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 2. He said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. He says, you want to know, you want to talk about end time prophecy and you want to really think about what's the end of the world going to look like? Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Number one on the list. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And so we have to recognize tonight that we live in a culture that is very self-consumed, very self-centered. But what Paul is demonstrating here is a spirit of self-sacrifice. I read a story a couple of years ago that was very interesting. It was about an elderly gentleman that needed a kidney transplant. And his name was Walter uh, Nishoika. And uh, he was a frequent customer to a certain restaurant in Hawaii where he lived. But he couldn't find uh, a donor that matched. He couldn't find a kidney that he could uh, use until one day uh, his waiter volunteered to give him his kidney. 
his waiter that he went to the restaurant uh, there frequently in Hawaii, he said, you know what, uh, you need uh, a kidney, and I happen to be a match, and I'll give you my kidney. And uh, this story made news headlines, and he said this, this was the waiter, his name was Jose uh, Rakasa. he said this, for years we have had this friendship in which he comes to lunch, and I do my best to, take, uh, to make him very happy, and he's always good to me in return, so of course I say, don't worry, I can give you a kidney. Now here was a man, that was just uh, his waiter, it was nowhere in his job description to donate his kidney being a waiter in that restaurant. But what we see demonstrated is a spirit of self-sacrifice. Hey, I want to sacrifice something that I have for the betterment of my relationship with you. By the way, our greatest example of this is Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says this in verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, adopt and develop and instill within you the mind of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Is anybody thankful tonight for the spirit of self-sacrifice that Jesus Christ displayed on the cross of Calvary? And so if we want to have healthy relationships, there has to be a spirit of self-sacrifice. This leads us to number four. Number four in the text that we see is this. We need to recognize God's sovereignty. We need to recognize God's sovereignty. Notice what the text says in verse 14. He says, but without thy mind would I do nothing. He says, I want to check in with you. I want to do this the right way. That thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. And I love verse number 15. He says, for perhaps he therefore departed. By the way, that word departed is the same, you'd wor same word used for divorce. There was a separation there between Onesimus and Philemon. He says, for perhaps he therefore departed, watch this, for a season that thou shouldest receive him for ever. What a powerful statement. Paul is bringing clarity and he brings clarity to the relationship by looking to God's sovereignty. He's saying this relationship was hurtful for a season. But now I believe that God used this hurtful relationship for a season to impact all of eternity. How could they have this renewed relationship forever? Well, now because of these circumstances, Paul was able to lead Onesimus to Christ. Now he is no longer a servant. He's a brother. Now he's a follower of Jesus. And now they're going to spend forever and eternity with each other. What is Paul doing? He's saying, hey, what the enemy meant for evil, God can use for good. He was saying, hey, this has been a painful, difficult season of a lot of relational hurt, but never underestimate the sovereignty of our God. He is always ruling and reigning. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father? Seated is a position of control. He's not up in heaven pacing back and forth, wondering what's going on in our culture today. Just, man, I hope they figure it out down there. And man, there's a lot of tr trouble going on down. No, he is seated. He is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is still sovereign over all of the earth. And so what we see him encouraging Philemon with is this truth. Hey, you went through a difficult time for a season, but God's going to use this to impact all of eternity. We see this happen in the life of Joseph. Joseph went through relational hurt. He went through family hurt. He went through all of the drama of broken relationships and people that were uh, 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 crude to him and people that had vitriol towards him. Joseph went through all of that pain. At the end of his life, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. 
See, the only way that we can truly experience forgiveness and the only way that we can truly forgive others is if we recognize God's in control. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know how this relationship can work out. I don't know how we're ever going to experience restoration after what they said, after what they did, after what I did. I don't see how it's possible. But with God, all things are possible. And because God is in control, uh, we see that he can orchestrate the events of life to bring himself glory. And this is exactly what we see taking place in verse number 15. Uh, So often, we stay stuck in bitterness So often we are imprisoned in bitterness, we're imprisoned in hatred, we're imprisoned in anger because we refuse to recognize the sovereignty of God, that God is orchestrating the details of life. I read recently, according to Fetzer Institute, 55% of Americans strongly agree that we need more forgiveness in our world. 55% of Americans say, yeah, we need more forgiveness. And yet, 60% of those people that were interviewed said that forgiving someone would first depend on the offender apologizing. And so in other words, we all agree we need more forgiveness as long as they're the ones that are going to do it first. Yeah, let's have more forgiveness. As long as that person comes to me and apologizes, uh, then we can make it right rather than taking a look within. What did James say, the brother of Jesus? He says, uh, from whence come wars and fightings among you? He says, "Where uh, where does this relational conflict come from? What's the source? You know, a lot of times our struggle uh, today is we are trying to solve problems by talking about surface issues. When we need to get to the heart of the matter, the root of the matter, the source. Uh, James says, okay, we can talk about surface issues all day long, even in our country today with some of the current events. We could talk about surface issues. But where do wars and fightings come from? What's the source? He says, come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? In other words, he says, If you want to solve relational conflict, first thing, take a look within. You want to know where wars and fightings come from? First of all, instead of pointing the finger, take a look within. Come they not hence from your lust, that war in your members? Look within. Now, notice verse number 16. It says this. Paul's going to keep on going. He says this. Now, he says, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. Don't you love that? Especially to me, how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. He says, receive him, forgive him, just as if it were me coming back, Philemon, receive Onesimus again. Let there be restoration. In Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. C.S. Lewis says that we can forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And this leads us to our fifth and final thought. Do you have one more in you tonight? All right. For all three of you that want it, I'm going to give it to you, okay? Number five is this. We need to live out the gospel message. If we want to have relational restoration and build healthy relationships, we have to live out the gospel message. Notice what it says in verse 18. If he hath wronged thee or owes thee aught, watch this, put that on mine account. He says, Philemon, if Onesimus owes you anything, whatever money he stole from you, put it on my account. Verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self Besides, he says, I could talk about how you owe me your eternal state because I led you to the Lord, but I'm not going to bring that up. He he says, I I will uh, pay whatever needs to be paid. I'll put it on my account. 
Now, here's the significance of this text tonight. This is really what we need to understand and grasp tonight. We are all Onesimus. That we were created to live and to serve God with our lives. We were created to be the servants of the one true and living God, and yet we rebelled against him. We went our own way. We fell into sin. We were all born in Adam, and we chose to ignore the precepts of God's word. We ran away and rebelled just like Onesimus. But aren't you thankful that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfectly sinless life, to die on the cross in your place, in my place? He says, hey, put it on my account. I'll pay the price that you can never pay. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is Paul doing here in verse number 18? He's living out the gospel message. He's saying, my sins have been paid for. Jesus paid the debt that I could never owe. Hey, I'll pay Onesimus' price. I'll pay it. Whatever it is, Philemon, I'll do it. He was living out the gospel message. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the justice of God was satisfied once and for all. This is the gospel. This is the good news that our sins have been forgiven. I read a story not too long ago, and uh, perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, Bob Goff, he's an author, and he talks about how before his daughter was born, that he wrote her a letter forgiving her for crashing his car in the likelihood that that would happen. He said, I'm just going to write this letter. And so he wrote this letter forgiving his daughter, and he went out and put it in a jar, and he buried that letter in a field. And sure enough, when his daughter was a teenager, she crashed the car. And so rather than having a conversation with her about that, he just handed her a shovel and the coordinates, the latitude and longitude of where that jar was buried. And she went out and she dug and she found that note and she realized that she was forgiven long before she was ever born. Aren't you thankful tonight that long before you were ever born, that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in your place, offering forgiveness to all those that will believe? forgiveness is available. And so tonight we have really two choices. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can put your faith in Him and you can be saved. You can trust in Christ and accept the gospel message. If you have accepted Christ, then you can make a decision to live out the gospel message. I'm going to forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in me. Paul was living out the gospel. And I want to read one last verse tonight in verse number 25. Last verse I'll read in Philemon. Paul closes this little postcard epistle by saying this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What Paul recognized is if we're going to have healthy relationships, we need to be dispensers of grace. The grace that has come to us should then go through us. It's easy to be a fault finder. It's much more difficult to be a grace giver. And so Paul says, the grace of God be with you. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.